Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are Jill's Journals Out Loud. And I'm recording this on an early Monday morning, February 20th, 2023, as the world sits on the verge of who knows what. There is so much going on out and about. It seems overwhelming to even try to think about a little tiny bit of it. But with that, we're going to go ahead and pretend like everything's going to be okay and just keep moving forward in our conversation about who we are as Wired for Danger, uh, how we can best manage ourselves, and why I believe we are here in this world at this time. Although Wired for Danger people have always been here because it's just part of nature's spreading out the the wealth of all kinds of different skill sets so that we as a species can survive. And with that, I just wanted to make a note that before I, uh, I've been thinking about this podcast for a while, you know, putting information together. And one of the things that just popped into my head this morning, so this is for you in the future, if you're listening, is that this is really something that someone's going to listen to down the road and get what I'm saying. So uh, I'm not saying that we can't get something from it here and now, but that just popped into my head. So I just wanted to say thank you for listening to whoever you are in the future that might listen to this that really needs it at that moment in time. And I am broadcasting to you. I am back in New Mexico. I'm still on the field mic, still on the microphone that's uh, the less high quality. So if the, for those of you who are concerned about the quality level, we're still working on, let's just say, a bit of a mess that was inside the trailer when I got here. Oh, and there's a heck of a mess going on outside. We've got some seriously soupy mud situation. I slid in just in the nick of time. I found one tiny little window. I got up here before the ice melted too much, got parked, and uh, as of yesterday or the day before yesterday, by the afternoon, it was a whole big old muddy mess. So sometimes things work out synchronistically in a perfect way where you just get through. And the reason why I can appreciate a moment like that is what I really want to talk about today is this really this idea of who we are when we have this kind of nervous system that just wants to fight if that's how we're born. If we're born with a very highly reactive nervous system, touchy, uh, finicky, however you want to call it. Uh, What happens as we get older? And, uh, you know, someone had brought this up in the comments, and I've been thinking a lot about it. And uh, driving back, uh, I spent two days driving back, I split the drive in two, and I had quite an elevation uh, experience uh, going from zero to over 7,000. And I was thinking about, you know, in the past versus now, what it was like to be in a situation that was stressful. And, you know, the fight response is the stress response of just our normal fight, flight, freeze, right? So we have them, all three of them. Everybody has all three all the time in a dance, a synchronistic dance, trying to move us through the world. And, you know, when you're driving long distances and you've got some stressful things, you know, I have uh, some stuff in the back of the truck and... Uh, I have this black tarp that I created that's heavy, it's rubber, but the first day I drove, there was just such amount of wind, and I was in an area I didn't know, and I was getting blown all over 
the freeway or highway and the tarp was flapping around, I had to constantly stop and try to readjust the tarp, which is just stressful, you know, when you don't know where you are and you don't want to be in the car anymore and, uh, you know, just all those things. And so, uh, you know, I got to my location and then the next day I got up in the dark at four to make the rest of the drive back, trying to get back to Pine Hill before the uh, snow melt or the ice melted. So I drove in the dark a section of highway. I've only been down once, and that downhill section was super steep and super canyon. It's beautiful. It's from Globe to Sholo, and there's uh, it's part of a, one of the a White River Apache Reservation. And this the visual is stunning, but it's super steep, super windy, super hanging off the cliff, and. It was dark, and I don't drive at night that much more anymore, so I don't drive real fast. Plus, the truck isn't, you know, designed for fast up and down the mountain driving. It's more, <laughs> it's a ranch truck. So, one of the things I was observing, you know, first I was tense, and so there's that push, right? That heightened uh, nervous system because I'm looking for, <clears throat> you know, elk and cow and animals jumping across the road. I'm looking for rocks. Uh, there was a big sign, watch for potholes, which apparently you can't see until you're in the pothole when it's dark in the, because there was no light anywhere. It was cloudy. And so there was no moon, no light. It was really dark. And so, uh, you know, people would come around the corner with their brights on. And so it was blinding. It was really a very stressful drive for me because I'm just not used to doing that kind of driving. And I used to love that kind of driving. I used to, I lived, when I was in California, I had a 14 mile drive up and down the hill every day for work. And I had a cute little Honda CRX and I would tear up and down that mountain because I love to drive fast. But you know, when I started blowing through tires at 6,000 miles because they were getting worn out from my little speed demon efforts and I got pulled over because they started setting tra uh, speed traps, I went into old lady mode. <laughs> and since that last time I got pulled over, uh, I've just taken to driving slowly because I figure it's just easier. But but I love to drive that way, but I was so hyper aware of all the risk factors. So I was slow, I was careful, uh, I was concentrating, and it was exhausting. At the same time, all these people are just whipping by me, right, at top speed, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, just blazing up the hill and around blind corners. And it was like that when I lived in the mountains, too. And it would be icy and people are just driving in the middle of the road. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about aging and, you know, being a fight person and liking the rush and the adrenaline is fun. And uh, but, you know, you get to a certain age and you realize the stupid factor to that, right, where uh, I've seen plenty of dead animals and there was plenty of dead animals on the road between, uh, you know, there and when I got back. And one of the things that happens, you know, when we're young and we're hormonal and we're full of ourselves and we're stupid, we do stupid things because we're enjoying the rush of the fight, but we're making really bad decisions that some people, you know, end up paying for for the rest of their life, whether it's you or somebody else. And that's the wisdom that comes from, yeah, I love driving fast, but I also recognize that there's a high price, maybe not just for me, but for somebody or something else. And 
I didn't particularly want to go flying off the cliff in the dark because even though I couldn't see, you know, the hundreds of feet drop on the other side of that rail, I'd been through there once before and I knew exactly what it looked like and I wasn't, you know, up for that kind of experience that day. But all the people that are blazing up and down, they're not tapping into that. They're just having... I need, they're pushing, right? I need to get there faster. I need to get fast. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm special. Bad things don't happen to me. Everyone needs to get out of my way. Uh, That's all that push energy that's got your floor, you know, the uh, pedal to the metal, the accelerator to the floor. And, you know, the physiology of that is if you spent your life in a car going 100 miles an hour and never letting your foot off the gas, the car isn't going to be able to sustain that. It needs refueling. It needs oil changes. It needs tires. You know, I mean, we're like the car. We cannot drive 100 miles an hour straight up the hill every single moment of every single day of our life. And when we're young, we're more likely to chase that experience in a stupid way without thinking about consequences. And within a culture and society, it was always the older people that came in and and set the boundaries and talked about the limitations and pulled the young men and women aside and said, you know, you can't do that. Now, there's no way to 100% prevent, you know, bad things from happening. But you don't want a 20-year-old general. You want a 50-year-old general. You want somebody who's been to war and knows what casualty and loss really is, you don't want the young warrior, right, who wants to just go kill people because that's the fight. And so at a practical level, you know, part of us getting through our first half of our life, you know, with all fight, push, you know, there's no boundaries, no limits, is bumping heads, you know, causing problems and experiencing consequences. Because the reality is, is we don't really learn until we have an experience, which I'm sure you call can appreciate. And you don't get experience until you live. And you don't have very much experience when you're 18, 19, 20, or 25, or even 30. When I was in graduate school, I was horrified by uh, the young people trying to be therapists at like 24. I'm like, what do you know about life? How can you be a therapist? to somebody having a real life issue when you've had no real life experience. I thought, this is ridiculous. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. And there was always a system within a culture. But we really don't have that. You know, I talked about the dad teaching the little boy about the battery, you know, and I was thinking how sweet that was because that's what the way it's always been, right? You, The mom and dad teach the children what they know. And so much of that is being laid waste. And we think that we're experiencing real life by watching videos or films or observing others doing real things. And somehow that makes us an expert. And there's just no substitute for the experience of, you know, looking over the cliff with the reality that your car could careen over or what it feels like when a big animal runs right in front of you and you realize that you don't have the power to stop on a dime, right? Those are the things that you can watch that all day long, but you can't understand it until you have actual experience. And 
what I'm noticing, you know, as I was thinking about all of this, is that some people get it and some people don't. And one of my favorite examples of a wired for danger person is a is a Jap- is a samurai. I forget what year, but he's one of the last generation of samurais. Uh, uh, my, now I just forgot his name. This is me getting old, right? Uh, Musashi Miyamoto, Musashi Miyamoto, and he was probably all raging ADHD, all raging uh, wire for danger. And at 13, he left home and he killed his first person. Uh, He wanted to be part of the samurai culture. And his fame is he used to mess with people big time. He would not follow the rules of the other samurai. He would show up late. He would show up early. He was disheveled. For him, it was the push of the fight that he was interested in. Uh, could he kill? Could he be the best? Uh, and I think over his lifetime, I think he killed like six, over 60 people, which is a lot, you know, in a one-on-one battle. But at some point in his efforts to be the best, and he, I mean, he just did everything you weren't supposed to do. He stopped killing people. He would fight, but he really was just seeing if he could win. And eventually he stopped. He went to a cave uh, and he started to record his wisdom. And I know at one point I had heard he was into his 80s or 90s when he died, but I saw another uh, report saying he died at 61. Oh, hitting close to home. But he wrote a a series of books or chapters uh, called The Five Rings. And he spent his last days retreating from the world and collecting his wisdom and sharing it. And, you know, people would come up and find him, you know, and sit with him in the cave because he realized there was no value in the actual killing itself. But he had to experience that in order to get to where he was. Now, I think the cultural shift for all of us is how do we get through having uh, experiences without having to kill people or create violence and things like that in order to understand ourselves. But that's a separate conversation. So to me, that's the real shift. You know, there's the people who never stop fighting. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. And then there's the people who recognize that the fight itself isn't really helpful. I mean, there's moments where You need to be wired like this. Like I talked about with the mountain lion, you need to have this very quick reactive nervous system in order to, you know, save somebody's life or respond to a dangerous situation. But when you're running around looking for a fight, eventually, you know, that's going to wear you out and it, it crucifies your whole life. It messes up your relationship. It's terrible for people who have families. Uh, It's very difficult to have a job when you're contentious. I mean, there's a lot of negatives to being wired this way. And you start to see those accrue if you're reflective and you're looking around at the wake in your path, right? Like, oh, you know, my life and my lifestyle have been extremely push-fight-oriented. And as I look back, there's like a wake of destruction in your tracks. And at the time, you know, it may, may feel like you're doing the right thing, but as you look back, you may realize, oh, you know, I maybe I sh- wish I had handled those things differently. And you start to do the inner reflection journey. You, and this is where I believe that we who are capable of facing great danger out in the world 
are wired to face the great danger that really is the truth within ourselves. And, you know, what I've learned and what I observe is that that's the stuck place. Like, I love a guy who will run around in battle and kill people, but if he wants to talk about a feeling, he, you know, decomposes and he can't uh, handle it, right? And so, uh, just because you're good at physical violence doesn't mean you're good at inner reflection, but you're wired to be able to do it in a way that maybe other people aren't. And that, to me, is the real journey. And that only comes with age and experience. Now, the opposite of that, if you don't choose to to, to let go of the outer push and shift to the inner push, then you get into that fighting to the death that I have in the title. And that really means that uh, you'll either put yourself in a situation where you'll die fighting because you don't know what else to do. Uh, you know, so many people re-enlist. Uh, there was, I did a whole section of my life on uh, secondary or vicarious trauma. And what that really was about was it wasn't that you had been attacked, but that you were p- a part of the first responder frontline lifestyle. And so many people who are uh, police and military and refugee workers and who live this high adrenaline lifestyle, they can't function back in the real world. It's too uncomfortable. And so they re-enlist, they go back because it's the only place they feel normal or they feel comfortable. And you know, oftentimes it kills them, right? You get in, you know, you start hanging out in refugee camps in the middle of, you know, third world countries in a civil war, there's a good chance you're not coming home. Same thing with being on the front line of a battlefield. And so uh, you will die fighting. You will die fighting because that's the only place you got to, because it's the only time you feel normal. There's a, there was never that shift that says, you know what, this is not enough. The fight itself is not enough. And so what else is there? And all shifting on this road towards truth requires a question. And some people just will not ask questions. They just have to be right, and they're rigid, and they're focused, and they're totally inflexible. And those are the people that will die fighting because there's no capacity to take in an idea that's contrary to maybe what you've grown up believing. And we're in that moment right now. You see this terrible splitting, you know, of people's perceptions and beliefs because so many things are coming out that are unbearable to know that might be true. Uh, It's too much. And so we shut down. It's not a left-right issue. I think the grand irony is, is that the left, the hard left and the hard right are the same person with just a different set of belief systems. They have the same uh, issue and that there's a rigidity and an inability to be flexible. And the belief system becomes very tiny and defended. And there's no room to ask questions. And unless you can ask a question, if you're willing to listen then you are doomed as a wired for danger person to die fighting or you're doomed to die alone because everyone's going to get tired of you or you're going to get sick with some kind of cancer or something because the stress hormones are going to eat you up from the inside out. And it's a very, you know, I've been writing over and over that this type of person, it's a hard life and it rarely ends well because 
if you're not willing at some point in your process and journey to figure out fighting everyone and everything, pushing all the time isn't getting me what I want. So what else is there? And that's when, to me, the real journey begins. But my experience is, is that you have to be just creamed. You have to be broken. You have to, you know, be betrayed. It has to be a pretty profound, painful experience to get you to a point where you're, as a wired for danger person, willing to ask the question, okay, this isn't working. Is there's got to be something else? Now, the flip side is, as I had a when I was saying goodbye to a guy that I had met in Yuma, uh, I told him I would let him know I was leaving. And so I'd walked over to just say bye. And there was another guy there, and it was an older man, and I don't know who he was, but everything out of his mouth was push. He, everybody was stupid. Everybody was an idiot. Everybody was retarded. You know, everybody else was wrong. And, and you know, what I tend to do with people like that is it drives me crazy. Whether I agree with them or not, I tend to uh, poke at their uh, belief systems, which is, you know, doesn't always work out very well. <laughs> but there was just like, he was so hard and fast and rigid and defensive and judgmental and angry even though he wasn't yelling, but everything was push, 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 push. And I'm, you know, sort of batting back and forth with him because that doesn't make me run away, but I'm not going to agree with him, right, and participate. And then the other guy just stood there, who's clearly not a push person. He just sat there and just, you know, let us go back and forth. I don't know, you know, if they were friends or what their exchange was, but... You know, eventually that guy walked off and it's like all the pressure left the space like people. And I'm like that. So I totally appreciate why it sucks to be on the opposite side of me. People who are all push all the time are exhausting. Uh, I had somebody call me that I haven't spoken to in a couple months and she's all push and she's telling me all the stuff that I know. So she's not informing me, but she needs to download all this information and she's like being vomited all over. And I don't want to participate in all that. I mean, I'm willing to listen for a little while, but I can't be somebody's, you know, vomitorium with, it's just all push energy. Uh, and I can see it in people's eyes when I'm like that. And I understand uh, why people walk away. And I understand why people don't want to be around me because I don't like being on the other side of it either. And that requires us to make a decision. Do we want to keep pushing or do we want to ask a question? And a lot of people, as they get older, get more and more rigid and more and more, their world gets tinier and tinier and they get angrier and angrier. And so, you know, that's the downside or one of the many downsides of this Wired for Danger push energy is that uh, you're really uncomfortable to be around as a person if you're not able to modulate your push-pull-pause effectively, like knowing when to put it away. Uh, and, you know, the more in fear we get, a lot of people who are pushed, the more judgmental they get, the more defensive they get, the angrier get they get, the harder they are to be around if you don't want to be a part of that party. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's happening out in the world right now is that 
were escalating. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I decided to come back is I was having a lot of anxiety for an unknown reason about I needed to get out of there. And so, uh, you know, once I made the decision and then once I got in motion, you know, a lot of that anxiety subsided. And so I don't know if that was real or not. You know, I don't know what all that was about. It was really creepy. It was getting cold and windy and cloudy. There's just a creepy feeling. You know, people were leaving. <laughs> uh, but I just felt very strongly like I can't be here. And so I made the decision, you know, I need to come back. And, you know, it was, I think it was the right thing to do. You know, we'll see how it goes. But um, the uh, the energy was pushing at me. And until I listened to it and I made some decisions around it, that it, re- it that I felt some relief. Now, I don't know if that's in the ethers. I don't know if it's me. Uh, I don't know what's going on. But there's a lot of push in the ethers right now that I can feel. And it's uh, very tense. You know, we feel at a very critical point in time. And, and so when you're feeling the push... It can be exhausting. And that's the second half of aging into being, you know, this kind of nervous system is that the older you get, the less energy you have to deal with the energy of being a push fight person. So, uh, you know, the irony is, is that, you know, physically it's it's harder to fight unless, you know, you're a movie star and I guess you get a stunt double. It's fascinating to me. They've got, you know, people that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, trying to make them action heroes. And I'm like, I don't know how that's really working out other than, you know, if it was a super real life adrenaline thing, you might be able to. But, uh, you know, your joints don't work as well. Your bones are more fragile. You know, there's a lot of things going into the aging process. And so when your response to everything is to fight, you know, your your nervous system gets tired. Uh, the switches in your brain that turn off the stress response, uh, it's not, they don't literally break, but I, the way I would describe it to people is it's like an on-off switch. Uh, when you're ready to turn off your sympathetic nervous system and turn on your parasympathetic, right? So you're switching from the stress response, you know, fight, flight, freeze, to your parasympathetic, which is your recovery, your restore, your recovery half of your nervous system, if you've spent a lifetime uh, being stressed out for whatever reason, that switch starts to falter and some people it breaks. Like they can never turn off their anxiety. They can never stop their cortisol from releasing because that switch in their brain stops working. And we don't think about ourselves as a machine oftentimes in that way. And that, you know, it's just like a car with all its little switches and gadgets. You know, the tiniest little, uh, you know, when I was having the phone issues the first time, at the time, you know, I thought it was probably the SIM card, right? And you look at one of those micro SIM cards and they're so tiny and it just seems so miraculous that they continue to work at all, like a tiny speck of dust or something doesn't get on there and make everything fall apart. And so, you know, we're built the same way is that things wear out, you know, constant stress uh, by some measure they is considered, I want to say they say, but can be considered as the cause of 
almost all disease because it really, your stress response is in direct relationship to your immune system. So when you're in push mode all the time, uh, I, I know I've said this a million times, but, you know, for the first 30 minutes of stress, you know, your fight, you're chasing the tiger, you're whatever, uh, your immune system peaks. The next 30 minutes, your immune system, so you're strengthening your immune system the first 30 minutes. The second 30 minutes, you're returning to baseline. And everything else below that 60-minute baseline is becoming destructive. Now you're tearing your body apart. So if you spend a lifetime in push mode, then all you're doing is crashing your immune system, which then makes you vulnerable to all these other issues. But you're also stressing out you know, when you're in adrenaline, flight, cortisol, all those hormones are turned up high, you know, you blow out your neurotransmitter and your receptors, right? You blow out your system's capacity to manage it. It's really no different than being a drug addict. When you use too much of one kind of drug, your body becomes... um, it doesn't, you, you, your receptors burn out. And so you're not getting that connection. So you're not getting that rush, right? And so you spend your life trying to find something that replaces that initial rush. Well, adrenaline as a wire for danger person is the same thing. You're, if you don't know what you're doing, eventually you're You're chasing something you will never be able to recreate because you've burned your body out. And so that is a very real repercussion of having, you know, a a seriously fight-oriented nervous system response to almost everything is that if you don't understand that it needs to be fluctuated, that you need to, to understand how to restore and recover from your fight, uh, you know, we, I think, have created a culture where we think fight is the best thing and you should be in fight mode all the time. No, it kills you, literally, one way or the other. And as you age, right, I'm sure we've all noticed this, you know, if you're exercising your muscle, we used to talk about that when I did personal training, is that, you know, the older you are, the longer it takes your muscles to recover, not because uh, they don't work, but the process slows down. So uh, I was thinking about Haven got she was limping the other day and she, by the end of the day, she was fine. I thought, oh, if that was me, it would be four or five days later, right? I'd still be limping around because when you're young, your healing and your recovery time is so much shorter than when you're older. And part of being a fight person is that you've spent a lot of time in a high adrenaline state. And there is a consequence to that. And it's different for everybody. And so I was observing, you know, as I was driving these two days, how much I didn't enjoy the stress of it, where it used to be fun for me to push myself into some kind of situation that required a higher level of alertness, a higher degree of concentration, a greater risk component. I used, to, I mean, I always loved that. But this time, and the, and the, you know, the last three times I've driven in, in um, kind of nerve wracking situations, I'm like, I don't enjoy this anymore. I, it takes so much out of me. Uh, it's not necessary. I don't need to do this in order to feel okay. And I prefer 
you know, the connection I get, the spiritual connection is way better than the adrenaline rush I used to get. Now, uh, I'm not going to say I don't like that power rush that I can get, you know, which as a Wireford Angel person, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but putting myself in high stress situations, maybe the way I used to, it doesn't feel fun the way it used to feel fun. And so when I had first seen the comment about, you know, I wonder what it would be like as we age into this, uh, you know, I think the the balance to all of what I just talked about here is, you know, my, my uh, as a social worker, uh, you know, people would say, you know, can you live alone? And for me, the test, I used to tell people, uh, you know, when I'm assessing you, if you're safe to go home alone, is, is if your house is on fire, can you get yourself out? Can you crawl out? Can you wheel yourself out? Can you walk out? Can you run out? Can you climb out? If your house is on fire and you can't muster to get yourself out of the house, then you're probably not safe to live alone. And I think the same is true for who we are, is that if there's a crisis, we will rise as high as we need to, to address that situation. So if somebody was trying to hurt Haven, the dog, I wouldn't be thinking, oh, my bones are fragile and oh, my knees hurt when I run. I would be doing whatever because I would flip that switch, right? And when you're in a high adrenaline state, you know, you can do things. You're not into your pain the way you are if you were just lollygagging and decided to go for a run. (laughs) But it, it would be what it needed to be. But all this other stuff, you know, that I think we all used to participate in, that's kind of off and not participatory anymore uh, because I'm interested in pushing internally the danger that I focus on. And I think the danger that uh, I keep messing his name up, uh, Musashi, I keep trying to Musashi, I'm blending his first and last name. My brain is not great these days. So uh, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come home because I, um, my nutrition is crashed and I'm really starting to feel the effects of that. So I needed to be able to uh, feed myself and sleep better because my brain is not optimal. But, um, you know, when you push to the dangerous truths within that we don't want to look at, to me, that's that same push rush that I used to get in discovering the truths out in the world that were dangerous to know. Uh, And the reality is, is the internal truths, the deepest truths of the spiritual world are terrible. And that's why I say nobody wants to know them, because it's not going to be what you want to hear. And so if you can't face them out in the world, you're probably never going to face them within. So if you're wired to be willing to look on the horror show that's going on around us, you're more likely to be wired to look within. But it takes tremendous courage to do that. And anybody can. But my theory is that if you're able to do it out there, you can do it within. But my experience has been observing myself and others is you really have to get broken and beat up and betrayed and laid out before you're willing to stop fighting whatever you think it is out there 
and ask yourself, you know, okay, this isn't working. So what else is there? What else can I do? Uh, and that's the sad part is it usually takes something terrible or over and over something terrible, you know, to get you to be willing to look at the things that you don't want to know. And I think that just comes with age. You don't have the wisdom and the age and the life experience to be willing to do that because you don't have enough failure out in the world. You don't have enough suffering out in the world. You don't have enough pain out in the world to be willing to ask, oh, there's got to be another way through this because that whole thing I've been doing, right? That fight, that push, that uh, I have to be right. It's just not working. Uh, you know, you have to have enough relationships with others to start to see the patterns of who you are in relationship to others. Is it what you want or do you want to change and be something different, right? I mean, is it, are you happy uh, pushing people away or uh do you want to stop being all push in your conversation uh, and try something new like listening or being open or, I don't know, asking a question, right? Instead of telling someone how terrible everybody else in the whole world is because, you know, you're sitting out in the desert, so I'm sure you're perfect. Right? <laughs> so it's this capacity to of self-reflection that, you know, of curiosity, of asking questions, uh, that not a lot of people possess uh, this unwillingness to look at yourself versus pointing fingers at everybody else. I mean, if that's going to happen, it usually happens later in life. And it luckily coincides with the fact that you're not as physical, right? You're not out trying to run and be, you know, a frontline warrior, 24-7. Now, there's lots of people who do that, and we are like celebrate, oh, you're old and you're still out running marathons and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's somebody who still doesn't get it. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, but when all your energy is pushing to look younger and to look, uh, act younger and to pass for being younger, right? That's missing the magic of this second half of these last two stages and who we are. Uh, you know, I like to think of the third stage, kind of 50 to 75, as that mentoring uh, sage stage. And then the last stage in our last years is really the the elder, the, the one that has the true wisdom uh, because it's through our life experience that we become wise, not by being right about everything. You know, you learn way more when you suffer, you get beat up and you fail than you do if everything is perfect. But we still have a culture and a groups of people who are chasing perfect and they are not receptive, no matter who they are, fight, flight, freeze, until they're willing to ask a question and saying, okay, this isn't working. Like, what else can I do? But the great detriment of the wire for danger person is that the amount of stress that you have, uh, I don't know what the right word is, is I don't want to say injured, but sort of, you know, probably lived with within your body. Uh, that push, you know, push through traffic, push through lines. Everybody's taking too long. Uh, you know, constant chaos. All those things that we do to to create some kind of adrenaline response that makes us feel better, where we're happier, uh, where things are more intense. 
uh, where there's more crisis. There is a definite cost to that on the back end, I believe, uh, just from, like I said, observing. doesn't mean that you can't manage it, but I do think that being cognizant of it is very important uh, and that some of your on-off switches might not work so well. And, you know, I think because we're so judgmental, we tend to think, oh, you're just a failure because you're not super healthy or you're not this or you're not that in this fantasy that somehow humans are supposed to have a perfect life and be perfect and know everything and be right about everything, their entire developmental uh, from zero to a hundred, which to me is insane. But we sort of culturally in the West are chasing this idea of success. You never look old. Everybody loves you. You're financially successful. Right? I mean, all these things that we call success uh, are so like not real for the rest for 99.9%. And there's a few people who fake it, right, who create the illusion of it. But, you know, I, that's as a social worker, you know, behind the scenes, the famous people are as or more screwed up than everybody else. They just hide it better. And so the value of a good publicist, although with video in these days, it's pretty hard to be sneaky about anything. People catch you everywhere, no matter who you are. It's, it's much more difficult to hide the truth. So uh, I think that we just have to be aware that if this is who we are, uh, if this is how we have moved through the world, uh, we might have a few more issues to deal with as we age. And that doesn't make us wrong. It doesn't make us weak. It doesn't make us failures. Uh, it doesn't make us throw away. It just makes us wiser because uh, we can, you'll never be able to tell a young person what they should do, but you can certainly uh, mentor uh, and hopefully someday culturally we'll come back into a world that values mentorship. You know, it just it was something that was so integrated into our culture and society and it's so lost in the Western world right now. Uh, so my hope is that it comes back, uh, but it really will take those of us who are older wanting to be that versus uh, the younger person asking for that. Because you, if you don't know better, you don't know what to ask for, right? Uh, you just think you know everything. I'm 18 and I know everything. We all remember those days, right? I can fly up this hill at 100 miles an hour and I am immune because I'm special and I'm a super good driver. <laughs> As there is a wake of people behind that person, you know, flipping off because they've been cut off. They've had to swerve out of the way. There's just sort of this, when you're young, there's just sort of this inability to see the repercussions of your choices and your behavior and the aftermath behind you. It's just getting older, I think, that some of those little reality checks sink in. So so that was what I really wanted to talk about this. You know, fighting to the death sometimes is important. You know, if somebody's going to break in and I have uh, people or animals or, uh, you know, I wouldn't say stuff, but, you know, if I have something I value that's important to me, I would fight to the death, right? I would protect the vulnerable and innocent if I could. Uh, if it was between me and them, I would put myself in that way. And that's just a natural inclination. And I have observed myself and others do it, right? It's just how I respond. I don't think about it. But at this point, you know, as you age, you have to ask yourself, is it working for you? Do I still want to be 
right? Do I still want to push everybody away because I'm so defended in my uh, I know everything way of being in the world? And, uh, you know, sometimes the answer might be yes and sometimes the answer might be no. But we need to really understand that nothing changes out in the world until we do the work within ourselves. And the push person is the least likely to get that until they've really been broken down. And, you know, it's not something I would wish on anybody, but I've just observed that that's really part of that process is that you don't become open to questions and um, willing to say, I don't know, I'm ready to listen until you've been beat up. And the, the adrenaline life itself, the stress life, the push life is a huge factor in creating a lot of physical breakdown, a lot of mental breakdown, a lot of emotional breakdown, a lot of spiritual breakdown. But I think there's a reason for that. And I believe in that because that's the only way you get open to the next place. So uh, I don't think that we need to be uh, samurai and run around and kill people to determine that we're real men or uh, real killers or real professionals or whatever, you know, you tell yourself. But I loved the Bushido code. I love having a warrior code. Uh, Not a big fan of needing to kill people to prove that to yourself, but there's always a balance within all of that. And so uh, I just wanted to speak to that as an idea. I was just so hyper aware when I was, you know, going slow compared to everybody else. And I was in high stress mode, but how tired I was. But I just kept thinking that how stupid they were because there were huge potholes, there were rocks. Uh, I didn't think there was ice, but there's things that look like black ice. And I certainly saw enough dead animals to know that that was a real thing. And any of you who know anything about hitting a cow or an elk or a deer, it's not usually good for you or them. So uh, with that, we're going to take a deep breath. We're going to keep our fingers crossed that the world out around us can hold itself together a little bit longer. Who knows what's going on out in the the big picture place. But for here, for now, we're just going to keep meandering forward on this uh, road that I believe that is the, the one of value, because we certainly have no control of what's going on out in the world. But I really believe in our ability to learn a lot from this experience. This is a high value lifetime. Uh, If you really want to step back and go within and uh, gain the wisdom that it's offering you in abundance around you, uh, it's really, truly breathtaking. The amount of of self-understanding that you can accumulate in this particular point in time. So with that deep breath, my friends, and I will see you next time.